1: Uh, If you're watching this on replay, online, happy whatever day you're watching this. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, I'm Kincaid, and I recently became a Canadian citizen. That's pretty cool. I have a picture, so it counts. Um, It's done online, but it it still counts. Um, I spent my first Canada Day long weekend as a full-pledged Canadian. Um, at a friend's wedding in Calgary, um, where I looked like I was about to chase somebody and ask them if they have a moment to talk about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. (laughs) But, uh, fortunately for me, I I also brought a vest, so I think that made it look okay. Yeah? It works? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, As some of you may know, um, I work for a multi-billion dollar Fortune 500 company. I create masterpieces and uh, while also providing astonishing service for hundreds of people on any given day. I turn poop into liquid gold. I turn headaches and gloomy days into at the very least a tolerable one. I am a glorified barista. Uh, so in my line of work, uh, I see and work with many a neighbors of different creeds, faith, face, race, and lifestyles. And you know, every so often, as, as I work with my coworkers, we would get into conversation about faith, as you would. Um, and I tell them that I love Jesus and that the reason why I can't work on Sunday mornings is that I volunteer for a multi-billion member organization. <laughs> that is the church, and some will go, church? I hate church, and when, and when I asked them about it, they would tell me that it's not necessarily the, the Jesus person that they have a problem with, or the teachings about him. They're pretty cool with Jesus, but they said it's the people that they don't like. Christians are awful, they would tell me, and unfortunately, there were a number of proclaimed Christians who, at the, during, the peak, during the peak of the pandemic, who would come into our store and not only disrespect our rules, but also my team members. And the room goes quiet. So it made me wonder, if that's what non-Christians think of Christians... I wonder if people from within the church think the same way. Probably not, right? We think we're all good guys, right? We're amazing. So over this past year, I did some research, or more so observations, um, with my youth students and my youth leaders about their past experiences with the church, Um, from September all the way till June. I've listened, because I'm a Snoopy guy, I listen to conversations about what they think about Christians. And here's what they think. They think that Christians are hypocrites, racists, full of themselves, judgmental, bigots, unwelcoming, two-faced, mean. (laughs) I mean, the call is coming from inside the house. With this, how does that feel to us? What do we think? Well, in the passage that we will go into this morning, we will seek to learn that this was not how Jesus meant for his followers to be. That Jesus wasn't ignorant or cold or hypocritical and that his followers shouldn't be either. Am I right? Can I get an amen from somebody? me <laughs> make me feel alive this morning. I know, I just like brought you guys down. No, we're all great people. We're all great people. But here's the thing, folks. Here's a spicy take at the well. Jesus loved his neighbors. Huh? Spicy? Kincaid, how's that spicy? We hear that like every other week. But according to our list, apparently not. So in the passage that we will go into this morning, we will seek to learn that Jesus wasn't all that and that his followers shouldn't be and that Jesus loved his neighbors. But just how did he do it? Let's find out together. But just a quick thing, during the duration of my message today, I want to think of the word neighbor as people beyond our literal homes. Think of your relatives, your aunts, your uncles, your, your nieces, your, your cousin twice removed, your friends, your government, People who do not look like you. Would you turn with me into John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26. And I will treat this like a youth room where I will say, turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26 and say yup when you're there. I hear a couple of yups. Awesome. And I will try to do this in my best preacher voice. John chapter 4, verses 1 26, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I always read this in Pastor Amanda's voice when she says this. She says, Sir, the woman said, the youth laughs because they hear it all the time. Um, You have nothing to draw with, and and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, okay, go call your husband and come back here. Then she replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you, you now live with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Again, in the pastor Amanda voice, the woman says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, and it's his turn to be a little sassy. He says, Believe me, woman, The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And may the Lord God add blessing to the reading of his word. So from this passage, we learned that Jesus not only loved, but Jesus loved his neighbors by being intentional. So at the start of this chapter, we see that there was a controversy being talked about in in Pharisee circles that Jesus was gaining more followers than John the Baptist. When Jesus found out about this, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. He left because had he stayed, he would have have faced opposition from the Pharisees and possibly end up getting killed. And as a little spoiler, before the book of John ends, Jesus kind of dies. But, but he gets resurrected. He gets resurrected. His cool main story, main character, it's, it's going to be okay. Better start reading. So there was a theory also posed by theologian John Piper that Jesus may have left because the Pharisees may have used Jesus' popularity to discredit John. So in this, Jesus was intentional in loving his neighbor, that is John, by not allowing this to happen. They don't want no controversy. Then we read on in John chapter, uh, chapter 4 verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria in order to get from Judea to Galilee. Uh, so the distance between Judea and Galilee was about 70 miles or 112 kilometers for you Canadians, or about a two and a half day walk at the time. But remember, they didn't have the Alberta Highway 2, where it's just straight down and like you probably won't get lost, you just go straight down. No, no, they lived in the Mediterranean, so it was hot and they had various sorts of terrains. So you're like, well, Dad, he needs to go north because in order to get to Judea, like they had to go through Samaria, it's like right there. But what Jews would usually do was travel east through the hot, uncomfortable road through the Judean Desert across the Jordan River and north by way of the region of Perea, just so they could avoid the region of Samaria altogether. Jews would travel almost twice the distance of the shortest route possible just to avoid a region, but Jesus was intentional. Indeed, going straight north would make the most sense, but there must have been a prompting from the spirits that he needed to pass through Samaria. Have you guys ever had those times when you're on your way to do something, and then all of a sudden you just feel the urge to like, do something else? You're just like, ah, nope. And then you just keep ignoring it, and then it won't go away? That's what probably what happened to Jesus. So a little story. I like to walk around downtown area in the summer, and just before the winter when I can see actual sidewalks. Um, and there's this one time that I was on my way home, about to hop on a bus. But something told me that I had to make a turn and keep walking like away from my bus stop. I thought to myself, no, can't be me. Just listen to a Mark Clark sermon. I'm good. I just listened to a sermon about like following Jesus. I'm like, not me. And then this urge, just kept going. Just kept getting stronger. The further I get, closer I got to my bus stop, and the further I I got away from that said direction. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. So off I went. Then, lo and behold, I see a homeless man always a homeless man, isn't it? Like, look, he looked rough, smelled bad, but he, he came up to me and he was like, hey man, can you help me out? Can you help me out with some change? I look up real quick and say to God, really? He says, yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. <clears throat> fine, fine, fine. <laughs> so he asked me for some change and as I opened my mouth, my lips betray me and I ended up saying, let me get you a sandwich instead. He's like, okay, and then my lips continue to betray me because the next words that come out of my lips was not, okay, we're done. It's want to drink too? Choose whatever you want. <laughs> so long story short, I did it. The guy said, God bless you. I'm like, thank you. And I'm cool. I cool, like, more of the story. I didn't feel good or bad. I just knew that he needed this urge. Then did follow this urge because I feel like I was going to die if I didn't do this urge. I'm like, I'm like God, that's my good Christian leader's today. <laughs> but there was also, you know, so this is probably what happened to Jesus. He knew that he had to go to Samaria. But there's also the fact that, God, that Jesus is God, so he knew that he had to go through Samaria. But later on in that. So reading on from verse 4, Lo and behold, on the sixth hour, that is noon, when the sun would be at its peak, the hottest time of day, Jesus became tired from his journey and sat down by a well. Well, no doubt, Kincaid. It's hot, so you get water. That's what you do. No, no, no just wait with me. Look who enters the scene, a Samaritan woman. Again, Kincaid, he wasn't Samaritan. Did you expect a Filipino dude to come? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, there was no Tim Horns then we're going to, it's a Samaritan woman. So hold it. Jesus knew what he was doing. He sat down in a specific well, in a specific town, at a specific time, because he knew that someone will be there. The plot thickens. Jesus was intentional. But wait, hold the cornstarch. What made the plot thicken? had to go through a uh, cookbook. I'm like, what makes things thicken? So a little history lesson here. Um, Samaritan people and Jews hated each other, hated each other enough that Jews would like, go out way around the region to just to avoid these people. But like, why? OK, super quickly, I'm going to talk super fast, because this is a long thing. Ready? All right, King Solomon. We all know King Solomon. Yeah, king, son of King David. Yeah, he ruled over Israel. He had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam had these unwise actions in 10th century BC that caused a schism or a split, splitting the kingdom of Israel into the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah, each with its own king. Following, good Northern Kingdom fell into enemy nation Assyria. Assyrians brought people of different race and idols, which some of the Israelites intermarried. They created a, a religion for themselves that Jews considered heresy. They had their own version of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible but rejected the writings of the prophets and Jewish traditions. Jews considered Samaritans as half-breeds who defiled true religion and sometimes they even hated them more than gentiles or people who do not believe in the God of Israel. So folks we have to understand that this wasn't like an Edmonton versus Calgary kind of hate where we're like, ha-ha, we beat you at the playoffs. But then we're like low-key friends again, you know? We're like, at least it's not the Canucks. You know, like, at least it's not the, the Leafs, you know? Like, it's not that kind of hate. It's like they had a strong animosity towards each other, and they would possibly even kill each other had one, had one Jewish person made the wrong turn at somewhere and go to Samaria. It was a lot. They were racist like, racism? I know that word. Kind of true about that, about us today, isn't it? In our world today, there's racism back then and now. So there is this race thing, but the Bible also mentioned that it was a woman that went to the well to fetch water and spoke with Jesus. So in those days, we have to know that rabbis or teachers like Jesus weren't allowed to talk to women alone. Even married men weren't allowed to talk to their wives in public. Can you imagine a world where your aunts, your sisters, your moms, your grandmas are treated not equally as you just because they were a girl? Mm. But the other thickening agent to the plot was the time of day that the woman was getting water. It was noon. It was hot. And at the time, fetching water at wells was a chore done by women at the beginning or at the end of the day when it wasn't hot. And it was also used as a local gathering time for women, like social gathering. Because they didn't have social media. <laughs> that was their socializing and their media. So was she just late, Kincaidon? doesn't seem like it. It seemed like it was part of her daily routine. Jesus knew something was up. She must be an outcast. Because there's no other explanation. She's alone. She's a woman. Fetching water at the hottest time of day. It doesn't add up. She had to be an outcast. So Jesus was intentional because despite knowing her story, he still wanted to pursue her. Let's jump to um, chapter four, verses 16 to 18. We'll read again like what's up. Verse 16 of chapter four. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come here. And she replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had, how many husbands? Five husbands. And the man that you now have and is living with, is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Ah, there it is. That's why she was an outcast. Are we following? Yeah? Yeah? Amazing. So you see, despite their racial, religious, cultural, and even lifestyle differences, Jesus loved this neighbor. And he was intentional in showing her that he loved her despite all of their differences. You see, Jesus deliberately chose to go the unorthodox route to pursue this neighbor. He could have just gone with the other Jews and just went around like a normal guy, but he chose this unorthodox route to go straight north to pursue this neighbor. He was intentional in sending the disciples out to get food. Teenage boys are loud. They're like, no, I want to talk to this woman alone. He chose to speak and not to smile awkwardly and wait for something to happen. And then he asked for a drink from her vessel, from what would be viewed as a very dirty and, and like an unclean vessel. That would be like if you were to relive last year's heat wave. It happened around this time last year. I was, I'm glad that I sleep in the basement because it was very cold and my parents and the rest of my family are like, hot upstairs, if you were to relive that, the heat wave, and you saw a homeless person with a bottle of water, and you were super thirsty, and you asked that person for a sip, this wasn't intentional. Or or if if we were back in the early 1900s in the United States, people literally sorted themselves into whites and colored. People didn't drink from that same fountain. Whites had their own, and colored people had their own. Imagine this. You as a white person, you're you're thirsty. You asked to to drink from a water fountain, and then, then you look up and you read, colored people only. How would that have panned out for you? So Jesus spoke to a woman. An adulteress, even. But did that faze him? No. No. See, folks, this is what it looks like to love a neighbor. Despite their differences, Jesus loved. Jesus knew that different does not equal bad. I have definitely grown up with that thought. Different means bad. No, 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 no. We're like, yeah, we're all different until we see actual differences, and we're like, That's bad. No, Jesus didn't care. Instead, he actively pursued the difference. Jesus also showed how he loved his neighbors by making himself known to them. So this interaction with the Samaritan woman, I don't know if you were following earlier, but it seemed to have led Jesus on this wild goose chase of a conversation with the woman changing topics at every turn. But Jesus kept chasing. With every topic change, Jesus would reveal more about Himself. So when she asks Him why He would ask her, a person completely different from her, for a drink, He answers that He has a gift for her, a living water, a spring that overflows, that she won't ever thirst again. But what is this living water? We toss this, we toss this word around. Living water. We even have churches like named after it that Jesus was talking about. The woman took it literally and thought it was a fresh spring water, um, a place where moving water underground finds an opening to the land surface and emerges. This, this is a lot of water that it overflows to the surface. But this is Jesus we're talking about. This guy speaks in riddles. So what does he mean? Living Waters. OK, pre-K pause, since we are doing One Church this morning. For the kids who are here this morning, um, I received this water bottle from a coworker before he left my work. Um, it looks cool, but I think I want to put more stickers in it because I love stickers. Um, could you guys design a sticker of what you think of what you hear, when, what do you think when you hear living water that I could put on my water bottle? I'll put my favorite ones on my bottle and show it off at Realm Network. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, pre-K, pause then. Let me take a sip. So living waters. We don't find out this meaning until John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, where it, where it tells us that the living waters is actually the Holy Spirit that people will receive once they believe in Jesus. So why is this important that, she get, that Jesus is offering this woman living waters? It was clear to Jesus that the woman was like the Rolling Stones. She can't get no satisfaction. She was looking to get satisfied in relationships with people, but still couldn't find any. Jesus was offering her and you today to take a metaphorical drink of the living waters that he offers. A drink that will lead you to be satisfied. St. Augustine once said, You have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. He made known to this woman, I And your satisfaction. You are physically living in the desert, but I know that deep inside you are spiritually and emotionally and mentally in the driest of deserts, and I come to give you the living waters that will fully satisfy you. Somebody say amen. When the woman asks where the well is, Jesus tells her to call her husband and come back to the same place. She denies her marital status, and Jesus calls her out saying that, yeah, she doesn't have a husband. She has many uh, husbands. And in this, Jesus reveals about himself that he is not just a prophet, but he is a great prophet. The woman changes the topic again to talk about where people worship probably wanting to sum Jesus about where the true place of worship should be set. And Jesus comes to her level and says, and reveals that He is the one who makes true worship possible. And again, the woman changes the topic, saying, she is waiting for the Messiah. And then finally, Jesus reveals that He is the Messiah. Did you know that throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus didn't often identify himself directly as the Messiah? He broke that pattern with this woman. Jesus knew everything about that woman. Her past, her insecurities, her ability to change topics when she's uncomfortable. Am I right? Jesus didn't have to make himself known to her, but he did anyway. Why? Because he knew that she needed him. You see, folks, to love your neighbor is to make yourself known to them. Why? Why? Here's a big thing that I've been learning lately. People will not care about what you have to share unless they know that you care. People will not care about what you have to share unless they know that you care. You can evangelize to people all you want. You can say, you will go to hell, you will go this and that, but unless they know that you care, unless they, uh, when they're feeling that you're, that you're making them like a project, when, you, when, they, when they're feeling like they're a project to you, I'm sorry, but they won't care to listen. Even if you are very excited about evangelizing. They're like, you're a stranger. I don't care about what you have to say. I don't care where you think I'm going. Why would I care if you don't care? Finally, Jesus made himself known to the Samaritan woman, yeah, but ultimately showed that he loves this neighbor and his neighbors by making himself available to them. In John chapter, um, in the previous chapter, um, John chapter 3, we see the story of Nicodemus who spoke to Jesus at night and um, because he didn't want other religious leaders to know that he spoke with him. What did Jesus do? He made himself available. Like, hey, nighttime it is. In John chapter 4, verse 43, after many Samaritans believed in Jesus, Jesus finally reached Galilee four days later. And there was a certain royal official in Galilee that begged him to heal his son. Again, Jesus made, we see Jesus making himself available to them. Then when Jesus met the Samaritan woman, he was out in the open, tired as he was. He just wanted water. But still, he met the Samaritan woman, literally where she was at, and her many questions... He made himself available to her. See, though it seemed like it was just happenstance that Jesus grew tired and sought after a well because he was thirsty, he knew that he had to be there at that specific point in time so this tired and pained person from her sin would finally be refreshed by the living waters that Jesus provided. There was a youth leader this past year who testified that they were going through a hard time. Um, they were remembering that they were going through hard times when they were a new Christian, so they wanted to talk to their parent, who is a Christian, about their struggle, but they didn't want to bother their parent. So I asked some of my youth kids, "Guys, what do you think about what this youth leader said?" They're like, "I agree." Me too. They've said things like, I also don't want to burden my parents. And here's, and they all said, they probably don't care. And then one youth student came up to me and he said, Kincaid, I tried talking to them, but they don't seem to want to understand. I'm like, God, I hear it clear. I hear the call very loudly. It's on speakerphone. I have even felt like this. So I went to Bible college and have many friends who are pastors. And then when I would tell them something, let's say I'm like struggling with whatever, or just a secret, I would sometimes feel the need to ask, Wait, am I talking to pastor you or just regular you? Can you please take off your pastoral hat for a second? I want my friend. People are afraid of Christians because they fear judgment and neglect. And yet we claim to be okay. Okay. look at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. He loved this outcast despite her past and even present because she was still living in his sin when he met her. He still loved her because despite seeing her sin, despite seeing what's supposed to be an enemy, he saw a hurting soul. Despite seeing different equals bad, he saw Oh my goodness, this is an actual person, a hurting person. He saw a woman that no one wanted to talk to. I mean, can you imagine being in an already hated group, being hated by that people of that same group? Jesus saw a person who just wanted to be heard. Haven't you ever felt like that? To be seen is to be heard, and to be heard is to be known. Jesus loved his neighbors because he saw them through the lens of grace. He was intentional because he loved them. Despite their differences, Jesus loved. And here's the crazy thing about Jesus. He did not let his convictions get in the way of his loving. He made Himself known because He wants them to know that He cared. He made Himself available by getting the chance to get to know them, to see them, to hear them, to know that the God of the universe cared for them. So I close this morning. You know, Canadians are known all over the world for being friendly and kind people. Eh? Uh, As a new Canadian, I am proud to carry the maple leaf flag and be recognized as such, as a friendly and kind person. But even more so, I want to be recognized as a Christian who loves with intention, is always available, and is never closed off. I want to follow what Jesus said in John chapter 13 to 35 when he said to his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are you willing to be intentional like Jesus was? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself like Jesus was? Are you willing to let your neighbors get to know you? Are you willing to listen to them? And not just hear their like, yeah, I'm having a hard day and whatever. But actually hear the words beyond those words. Jesus has set the president to be a loving neighbor. My final question is, will you be a loving neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace and the lens that you see us through. Lord, we ask for forgiveness in the many times that we have failed in loving our neighbors. Lord, we're awesome at loving ourselves, but loving our neighbors, oh, a whole different story, but just at no know my son, know my child, that is part of that story, that the reason that you crossed many, many spaces, that you broke from heaven unto earth, into a helpless human being, just so that the world will know that her king has come, and that her king not only loves her, but actually likes her. Holy Spirit, would you help us, would you empower us to be intentional with, with people? Would you, help, would you help us to be available, Lord? Would you free our timelines to be available to people who don't look like us, that don't even sin like us? And help us to see and to hear people as you would see them. We thank you and we love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. CrossPoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website.